Well, good morning and welcome to Journey. We're glad you're here today. And uh, if you are a guest, it is awesome to have you with us. My name is Randy and I'm, I'm excited about today. I, I love coming to church. I love what God is doing in our church family and uh, just seeing him move and, and change lives. And, um, and one of the ways that we do that is through the preschool, just an incredible loving environment for your kids. It's a secret. Uh, we don't want to keep it a secret, but, uh, but it's uh, something you should check out. Hey guys, uh, we are starting on kind of a new series today for a few weeks here uh, that I'm really excited about. It's called What If. Uh, Sometimes we lose the ability to imagine and to dream, don't we? We kind of lose sight of that. And we think about, uh, we don't think about possibilities. You know, I'm kind of a, um, I'm kind of a country music fan. That's all right with everybody. Um, you, guys, you guys like country music? I don't have any idea. Yeah. All right. All right. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, you know, there's a guy named Kane Brown. He's kind of a new to the scene. He's got a song that I have to mention because it's entitled, What If? Uh, you probably heard that song, right? And in that song, uh, you know, he, he's trying to convince this, uh, this woman to take a chance on a relationship. And he's, you know, she's got all these excuses. She said, what if you break my heart? You know, what if you hurt me? And, and then he goes, yeah, but what if it's the greatest thing ever? You know, and he's trying to convince her. And, and I, I was thinking about that because Every issue has its pros and cons, possibilities or faults, right? Things that could happen. But what is it about us that oftentimes we focus on the negative more? We focus on the negative things. And we're going to talk about how to turn our thoughts in a different direction there. For example, when our kids were little, uh, we had a lot of fears about our kids. What if we, what if we blow it as parents? Uh, what if something happens to our kids? What if they're in an accident? What if our kids get this illness? What if somebody hurts our children in some way? And as a parent, you know, you go through these things, you think, I just don't know what I would do if something happened to my kids. What if something happened? And then from there, we go on to more negative things. We say, what if something happened to our income? What if we had this huge expense and we lost all of our savings? What would we do? Or what if the economy fell like it did 10 years ago, and, and, and everything just fell apart. What we do, or what if I lost my job, or, you know, as we get older, it's what if I can't afford to retire? We have all these negative things that we throw out there. And, you know, the what if questions always seemingly tend toward the worst case scenarios. We never think about what if the great things happen to us. We always think about the worst things that could possibly happen in our lives, and they make us anxious and fearful, even though we can't control those things. We have no control over most of those issues. Can't do anything about it, but we worry about it, don't we? Let me ask you this. What if there were a whole different set of what-if questions that would instead lead us to possibilities and hope instead of fear and anxiety? What if we were to ask different types of questions that would kind of move us in a more positive direction. When we turn the questions toward God, instead of toward the world and the things that could happen, then all sorts of possibilities begin to open up for us. What if we really trusted God? I mean, really trusted God like we're called to. What if we really did what God called, called us to do? What if we really lived the life that he tells us to live? What if, he, what if we treated people the way God said that we ought to treat people, the things we all know to do? What if we used our resources the way that God says and we gave to him like he asked? What would happen in the very best case scenario? What would happen? It's a great question, isn't it? But let me tell you this. I kind of know what the answer is already. The answer is, is that we'd all be a lot better off. We would all be a lot more happy. 
we'd all have better relationships, we'd all be more at peace with ourselves and people around us, things would be so much better, and not only us personally, but it would ripple out from us. I believe that if we were to do that, many of the world's problems would dissolve. World hunger would be taken care of if we gave as we'd been blessed. The water issues around the world, we could provide fresh water for people. There would be resolution in tension of racial and socioeconomic issues. Things would cool down and relationships would meld together. Christians and churches would be leading the way in resolving these issues that the world doesn't know how to approach. Churches would not be closing on a regular basis, and instead, they'd be well-funded. They would have the resources to continue to change the world and accomplish the mission that God had given them. You know, I think we might be onto something here if we just did what God told us to do. But the problem is, why don't we do that? Why do our what-if questions always lean toward negative fear and anxiety and not toward hope and possibilities? Let's go beyond that. What if we all studied the Bible I mean, we have this precious book. We, many of us have piles of them at home, right? Other parts of the world, they don't even have access to a Bible or the Bible in their own, own language. The Word of God spoken to us. We have the Bible, but we don't read the Bible like we should. They just kind of pile up and gather dust from many of us in our lives. What if we all prayed like the Bible says that we should? What if we tapped into this amazing chain of, of connection with God and the power, unleash the power that prayer can bring to us? What if we all used our gifts and we served the church and the world? We, the talents that we have to make money or to get us ahead in our job, what if we used those and directed that to actually help people for free sometime? What if we worshiped the Lord the way he deserves to be worshiped? What would happen then? You might say, well, that's a great dream and only a preacher would come up with something like that. But you know what? There's a reality in that. There really is. Statistics tell us that 75% of the people in our country believe in God, believe in Jesus. They have a belief, a basis of belief. What if three out of four people in our country actually lived the way they say they believed and lived it out? Well, there's no doubt that the world would be changed. I mean, three out of four, that's a pretty good majority, right? The world could literally be changed. So how do we change the focus of our questions, and how do we change the focus of the direction of our life? And the answer is very simply is that we have to turn to the way of God and not to the way of the world. It all depends on where our thoughts go because, believe me, the world gives us enough reason to, to doubt and to be anxious, doesn't it, and have fear. But if we were to turn our thoughts toward God and believe the promises that God has given to us, then I think our thoughts would change and our attention would change. And it kind of depends upon us, and it has to begin with us because the world is not going to take the lead in this. The world's not going to suddenly say, let's start thinking about the things of God. In fact, it's pushing the other direction, to be honest with you. It's not going to make it happen, so it's up to us as God's people. And I want to kind of direct your thoughts back to the Old Testament for the rest of our time here, to the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles specifically. Now, if you were to read that book, and it's not one that you and I read out of a whole lot, but that's a book that tells about the, the chronicles, that's the reason why it has that, chronicles the history of the people of Israel. And at this particular time, and we're going to read, uh, they have just gone through a major transition in 
leadership that David has kind of stepped back. He's died. His son Solomon has moved in, and immediately Solomon begins to to, to move this country economically forward, and they become a, a greater power even than David ever had. And he's the wisest man at that time. Remember, he's prayed for wisdom and got it. God gave him power. He gave him uh, authority and uh, respectability around the world. But God also allowed him to build the temple. Now, remember, to this point, they had been worshiping in a portable tent, a tabernacle. And so God said, I want a temple built, but it can't be built by David because he's a man of war, his blood on his hands. And so it will be a son of David that does it, and Solomon gets a chance to build that temple. So at any rate, it was elaborate. It was an unbelievable place of worship to honor God. And in chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, Solomon gives a prayer of dedication. He invites God to come and live in the temple and his presence to be there and kind of a prayer of repentance and submission to God. And then in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, God responds to them. So it's kind of a neat point in their history. It was a chance for a revival and renewal, kind of turning back to God. And God responds to the prayer of of uh, Solomon. You probably are familiar with this script, scripture. And I want to add one word to it, um, not to the scripture, but just to our uh, you know, reading of it here. Uh, here's how I want to add it. What if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways? I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now, that's an incredible passive scripture, and you've heard it many times, and I have as well, and it's a challenge in that. We're going to break it down in a moment, but, but first of all, look at the promise itself. This is not an individual promise. This isn't like God is saying, Randy, Randy, if you would humble yourself and seek your face, then I'm going to do everything. I'm going to change everything because of just one person. Now, that would be great, and I believe there's power in our prayer, and that's where it begins, honestly, but it's a corporate promise to God's people. Because you notice he says, if my people who are called by my name would do these things, then then I will respond to them. What if my people who are called by my name were to actually do what I tell them to do? Wouldn't that be great? Now, as a parent, and we have have four kids. Our kids are grown. Uh, They got through it. We got through it. Okay. Uh, But you know, our kids weren't always the best behaved. There's a stigma with preacher kids, right? PKs. And our kids probably feel that. Some of you watched them grow up, so you know. So our kids were oftentimes into things they shouldn't have been. But when I saw that, I always tried to, to correct them. Why? Because they were my kids. I did not expect. It was okay, and some of you did, if you corrected my kids, but it was my responsibility. Now, on the other hand, when I see some of your kids doing things they shouldn't be doing, I always have this tension inside like, oh, that's killing me. Uh, because they're going to get hurt, or they're going to tear something up, or destruction. But and sometimes I break over. I have to admit, and I correct your kids. Try not to do that. Uh, but you know what? I don't have authority over other people's kids, but I do over mine. The point I'm trying to say is, God said, "These are my people." Not everybody in the world are God's people, but Christians are, believers are, and He's talking to His people. If my people who are called by my name, would actually obey me, then it would change things. It would ripple out and would change the world. It would change the world. When I was growing up, I worked on a farm, lived on a farm, and oftentimes during harvest season, hay, tobacco, things like that, we would hire some help. And uh, we would have some guys to come in, and, and some of them weren't the best workers in the world because they were part-time help. They didn't have other jobs. Might be a reason for that. But, but we would hire them, we would bring them in, and we would be working together 
And I, I always tried to work pretty hard. My dad was a hard worker. I tried to be a hard worker. But what I noticed is that my dad had a hard time correcting or instructing the hired guys, but he had no problem correcting or instructing me. So oftentimes he would correct everybody by correcting me. I mean, I was working, I felt as hard as anybody, but dad would tell me to work harder and tighten up, you know, and get with it and get to work and everything. But by, it was kind of an extension of saying, everybody get to work, but it was easier to correct me because I was his, right? I believe that if the people of God would get their act together, I think in turn it would ripple out to the rest of the world. So God says, if my people who are called by my name, these are the ones, if you respond, you will change things. Now, here's the other thing I noticed about this is that oftentimes I've heard this promise given to the country of America, that it's applied to America. But you see, the problem is we're not God's chosen people. America isn't. Now, I, don't, I love America. I'm not criticizing America, and I, I, would, I wish that we were. But the reality is, is that even though we may have begun on godly principles, there seems to be an attempt to push, that, push God out of every arena of life. And so we're living in what a lot of people call a post-Christian culture, in that we used to be a more godly nation, na- nation but, but there's an attempt to push Him out. I, I don't want to give it up, but i got to be a re- a realistic to say, that we're probably more post-Christian than we are Christian. So America is not God's chosen people. And uh, this was written to the Jewish nation. Obviously, this is in the Old Testament. It was written to God's people, the Jews. And God's covenant with them was dependent upon their obedience to Him. And there was a direct correlation between their obedience and their actions and God's blessings. God would oftentimes withhold. There was a direct correlation there. And so God was talking to his people, the Jewish people. It's not to America. However, we can't write it off because these words do apply to, I would say, most of us in this room because most of us would honestly claim to be the people of God. We are Christians. You see, Jesus opened up the kingdom or the family of God, not just to the Jewish nation, but to everyone. That was the big, one of the big points of his coming. It was opened up to all people. So every one of us are invited into the kingdom of God. There's no borders or boundaries for God's kingdom. We're invited in. So today, Christians are God's chosen people, and the principle is the same. So when you read this, don't say, oh, it's not to Americans. It's to us. It's to Christians. And we are the people of God now. And so we need to be living a life of humility, prayer, seeking the face of God that that we'll talk about here in a moment. And when we do so, then the promises of God are subject to be answered in our lives. But here's the thing, guys. A lot of us, even in our, our American spirit, we feel like if we just get our act together personally, we can fix everything. And we could convince God to do something, but the reality is on our own, even our best efforts are not gonna change our land. It isn't gonna do it. And in fact, what does God say is going to be required? God says that it's going to take something, and he says it is a turning that is required. There must be a turning away. In fact, time after time, God told the people of Israel, you have to turn from the idols, turn from your selfishness, turn to God. Now, later on in the, in the New Testament, we have a new word introduced. It's called the word repentance. Repentance is turning. That's what it all means. The word itself means to turn away from our past, turn away from sin, and turn toward God. It is directly leaving where we've been and turning toward a relationship toward God. 
Now, now repentance is not just a one-time thing, even though it is a part of our conversion. Whenever we give our life to Christ, we believe in Him, we confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and then we're baptized and we begin our new life in Christ. That's a part of our, of our conversion, but it's not just a one-time thing. We should all be constantly turning from our sins. And the reason is because sometimes I turn away and then I turn back and I turn away and I turn back. It's, you know, it's a constant thing. So we always have to be repenting, turning back to God. And when our attention is on ourselves, when our attention is on the world, it usually tends to lead us to fears and anxiety. But when we turn toward God in humility and prayer and seek the face of God, that's when we begin to discover the possibility and hope that's out there for our lives. So we need to turn our eyes on Jesus. Because when we do so, there are possibilities and there's hope that we never recognized before. In fact, you might want to remember this little phrase that hope is just a turn away. Hope is just a turn away. Hope for our nation is just a turn away from the sin that we've been condoning and living in and turning toward God. Hope for our personal lives is when we turn away from self and we put our eyes upon Jesus. Hope is just a turn away. And that was God's plan for man to turn his eyes toward God. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Turn from your wicked ways and I will bless you. God's original plan was that man and woman would walk with him in relationship and have their faces turned toward God. But we know what happened early in, in, in creation, right? That man turned away from God. They both turned away and they turned toward sin. And all of us inherit that distance and that sin nature and then we adopt it for our own. In fact, we can settle into that life very easily, kind of a distance from God. You know, I kind of compare that to a distance in a, in a marriage. When a husband and wife, you know, when they're married, if you were, most cases anyway, they're facing each other when they give their vows back and forth to one another. And they vow some incredible things uh, in their intentions in their relationships. But then over time, oftentimes what happens is they begin to turn away from each other. In fact, in marriage, marriages that are, are dysfunctional, rarely do they ever look at each other. Rarely do they ever talk to each other. Instead, there's a turning away to other things, or maybe in some cases, other people. And many cases like that, they never turn around. Nobody ever seeks to repair the relationship. Nobody ever turns and faces the person and says, we need to talk. And the distance grows until many cases, it, it's a death to the marriage. But here's the thing, when we turn turn away from God, God doesn't give up on us. In fact, one of the most incredible things we see in the Old Testament in God's relationship with, with Israel was that God did not give up with them. He was so consistent and he was so persistent in keeping them close if they would just do it. And he, he just gave them chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. And God has that same sort of invitation to us. He wants us to meet him face to face and turn toward him. And at this point in time, he is not filled with judgment or punishment, but with restoration and forgiveness. There will be a time of punishment, but now it's a time with restoration and forgiveness. In verse 15, God says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. And so you see, God wants to restore the relationship. He is seeking us and encouraging us to seek his faith, that is corporately and personally. And let me just say, that is a process. Just like coming to Christ is a process, coming back to him is a process as well. 
And it's where many of us need to start our journey. And the process that he gives us here in First Chronicles, uh, Second Chronicles 7 is very simple. It has four points. First of all, he says, you must humble yourself. Secondly, you must pray. Third, seek his face and then turn from our wicked ways. That's the process. Humility, prayer, seeking his face, and turning. And then he says, if you will do that, there are some promises that I will give you, some things that I will provide for you. And he says, I will restore you, I will forgive you, I will give you healing, and then a deeper relationship with God. You know, all of those things are what we really long for. It's what we need. When we get down to it and we get away on our brokenness, we want that restoration, forgiveness, healing, and deeper relationship with Him. But we can't achieve those things on our own. I mean, we try. We try to clean ourselves up and do our best to get our act together and, and be a better person and try to earn the promises, but we can't do it. In fact, God says, I'm the one actually that will turn your face. I will turn you back toward me. We can't do that on our own. It's only through our submission and our humility. And he is the one who cleans us up after we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. So remember this, but before we can experience the promises, we have to go through the process. Before we can experience in those promises that, that he gives us, we have to go through the process of humbling ourselves before God because it happens in his way and in his timing. There aren't any formulas, really. God does it his way. Guys, you, you know this is true in your marriage, right? I'm going to use guys because uh, we're the ones that usually are looking for ways to make things right and better really quick, right? So let's say you, you hurt your wife, you say something really stupid, or you do something really stupid, and you want to make it right, and you think, you know what, if I, just, if I just buy some flowers and buy some candy and take her out to dinner, everything will be great, right? It's like, I do these things, and she'll forgive me, right? Well, she might be so stunned that you did even those things, that, that it was okay, but, but really what she's looking for is she's looking for real, something that's real, right? She's looking for you to have a heart that's changed, a humble heart to, for healing. You can turn it around, women for men, I'm sure it works that way as well. But, um, but the thing is, the heart has to be turned. The heart has to be changed. You can do all the actions, you can do all these things. Things, but if the heart isn't changed, it doesn't matter. And that same thing is true with us and God, isn't it? That, that we can go through the motions, we can say these things and pretend these things, but if our heart isn't turned toward God and then surrendered to Him, then we're not gonna, God's not going to begin the, the, the promises in our life. And that turning process looks differently for everyone. I, I've seen people who are truly broken before God after just, you know, just hearing his word or reading his word. I've seen other people that it, it was gradual. I've seen others painfully slow. You know, maybe it takes years in their lives. But whatever it is, God doesn't give up, and God is constantly saying, turn your face toward me. Seek me. Humble yourself. Pray. I have, I have a, incredible promises for you. And God wants to begin that process in our lives. He wants to begin that. What does it mean to humble ourselves and pray? Well, in, in the Bible, humility and prayer are very closely connected to one another. Fear of the Lord, a humble spirit before God. And humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is putting Jesus, lifting Jesus up. It's putting our will aside and turning our lives and our eyes toward Him and to make room for Christ in our lives. It's a prayer of submission. And so we humble ourselves and we pray and then we seek the face of God. 
What, what does it mean to seek the face of God? Have you ever seen anybody have a pancake or a potato chip or, you know, uh, something like that? I, I've seen the face of God, and they put it on eBay, and, you know, they sell it. That crazy stuff. God, God doesn't have uh, a physical face like that that we can recognize. We don't know what the face of God looks like. But what we're looking for is His presence. We are seeking the presence of God. We want to know God. We, want, we long to have this experience, this relationship with God, to understand that God is a personal God. God wants a personal relationship with us. And to have that personal relationship, we have to be very intentional. We don't wander into it. We have to seek, intentionally seek God. And we have to schedule our time with God. You know, so many times in our lives, I was talking earlier about having Bibles that we don't oftentimes read, but... You know, how often do you read your Bible other than maybe bringing it to church or reading it on the screen, or, or maybe if you go to a class or a group preparing for that, how often do you just sit down and read your Bible? Just take time out of your schedule to, to read just a little bit of your Bible. How often do we seek God through prayer? Outside of our prayers for our meals or maybe our corporate prayer on Sunday morning, how much time per week do you actually spend praying and seeking God's will through prayer. Those are challenges that we all struggle with, isn't it? Everybody I know struggles with that, including myself. But we have to seek actively, intentionally seek the face of God. Because if we're His people, then we ought to be seeking the heart of God. And we ought to be longing, what kind of life does God want me to live? How, what is the attitude, the spirit of my life? You know, today we live in a, a time of a lot of conflict in our world in our nation. The conversation of our nation is harsh and mean-spirited. I can't think of a time, honestly, when there's so, many, so much division on issues. And we struggle with that. How do we respond to those things? There are times when Christians need to stand up, and there are times when the church needs to speak out, be honest. But you know what? We don't respond to culture like they respond to us. If you look at the life of Jesus and we want to emulate, Jesus never picketed anything as far as I know. He never caused a riot. He, he was never involved leading a mob. He was a victim of a mob a time or two, but he, he just didn't do things. There were plenty of issues in his day that Jesus was disagreed with, and, uh, but he didn't get distracted by those things. His time with God was important. He prayed, and he sought the Word of God, and, and he focused on those things. Instead of all the conflict going around them, he didn't add to the confusion. He didn't yell at anybody except hypocrites. And we don't want to be those, but we also don't want to get caught up in so many other things that we are distracted away from Jesus. We want to be turning our eyes on Him. And if we're seeking the face of God, then we're going to begin to cause peace instead of adding to the conflict of the world all around us. You see, for us, a turn is necessary for all of us. A decision to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek His face, turn from our wicked ways, that's the process. Before we can experience the promises we long for, we have to go through the process. And once we, the people of God, do that, then I believe we'll begin to see the rest of the world do the same. They take their cues, I believe, from us. We are leaders, even though we don't acknowledge that we're leaders in the people around us. They will follow the example of God's people if we take the initiative. And we can and we could change the world. Guys, what if our questions about what if led to possibilities and hope rather than to anxiety and fear? What if we didn't live like the rest of the world? What if the people at work were to see us differently? 
And they would want to be like us. And we would have a chance then to tell them why our lives are different. Remember that hope is only a turn away. Our choice, turning our hearts, turning our eyes toward Jesus, which, by the way, is the only way to come to God. That's why our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, because we believe that He alone holds the answers to the questions that we long for the most, the things that we long to have, the peace in our lives, the hope, the possibilities only can be found in Jesus. And that's why we want you to be moving on your journey toward Him. And if you have questions or if you'd like to talk about something in your life to find peace, to find hope, I would love to have that conversation with you. I'm open anytime to sit down and, and just talk about it. And that's our invitation. For the rest of us who are Christians, I want to challenge us to start stepping into those things, to not worry like the world, not ask the same questions, but instead ask the questions that lead to possibility and hope. What if, very simply, we did what God told us to do? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. And Lord, as we just come today, I pray that you've laid a burden on each of our hearts. Father, I pray that as, as believers, for those of us who follow you, who are your people, that, God, we would be convicted of our need to turn, to turn our eyes away from the world, away from the worries and anxieties that certainly take up enough of our time, away from the chaos and away from the distractions, and put our eyes upon you, put our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to think different things and dream different dreams and, and question and reform our questions away from fear and anxiety and, and toward you, God. We would turn our eyes toward you. Lord, I pray for, for those who are here who may not be followers of Christ yet, that they would be intrigued with your amazing love and your invitation to give us, to give us hope. God, for those who may be struggling and have questions about their life and where it's going, that they would discover that by checking out your truth, your word. God, we love you. We worship you. We know that you hold all the answers that we long to know. And God, we know that begins with Jesus. I pray these things in his name. Amen.